So are you enjoying the Olympics? Hopefully some of you are even aware that there are Olympics happening right now. But it's just, it's, it's so wonderful to see how people uh, use their gifts in that kind of way. I know for some of us, we've been hearing some of the athletes, you know, say, thanks be to God, or I can only do this because I memorize scripture. And, and a lot of them give their credit to God. And I don't know if we all understand what that means, but that's what this series is all about. We want to learn about our magnificent God and how we can live a life that's pleasing to Him. Some of us, we get confused or we try to balance out between living a life that pleases people and then living a life that pleases God. And the question really is, so can I do both? Can I live a life that pleases both God and people? Because it can be difficult to do so. I think when we're growing up, the thing that comes to my mind is, you know, like our little children, they'll, they'll always say things like, Daddy, watch! Daddy, watch! And if you don't watch them, they'll say it over and over until you pay attention. Daddy, 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 Daddy. And you could be on the phone. They don't care. You could be cooking. They could care less. Daddy, Daddy, what? Watch. Okay. You turn away. They'll, Daddy, watch. Or Mommy, the ever-so-popular 30 mommies in a row. Mommy, 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 Mommy. Didn't even take a breath. Finally, when you watch them, it could be as simple as Mommy, Mommy, watch this. Oh... And you, got, and you have to cheer them on. Yay! One leg, dear. Wonderful. Mommy, watch this. Watch this. The other leg. Wow! And you got to cheer them on. But our, our children do that because they want us to be, they want to please us. They want to make us happy. And I, I think what really comes to my mind is when we draw pictures for our parents, you know, in school or daycare and maybe even three years old, four years old, and we want to do our best to draw pictures for our, our parents and of our family. And the, the teacher would say, okay, so we're going we're gonna, to uh, all draw our families. And all the kids would say, yay, I want to color. So they pass out all the crayons, the huge crayons. And, and so you have to color your family and, and draw them. And, and that's the teacher's way of saying, I need a break. Here's crayons. Take it. Have fun with it. Let's draw our families. And so they do. And so the kids would just be there and, and, and they would do their very best to draw from their perspective what we look like. Big feet, you know, it kind of gets skinnier at the top and small head, tiny ears. And, but that's how they see us because they're so little. They're looking up at us. And so by the time they're finished, they're excited to give this to their parents. So they'll turn it into the teacher and they say, so, so uh, how does it look? And the teacher would say, it looks great. If it's a girl, they would say, it's so pretty. And if it's a boy, it's so cool. It's so nice. And you, even though you may not agree that it's the best painting or picture, you have to say it's something nice. I don't think it would be great if you gave it and the teacher said, is this your family? Is this what they look like? They look like monkeys. They're not monkeys. But we encourage them and they want to do well. So they wrap it up and then they bring it home to mom or dad and they would say, Mommy, Mommy, I got you, I got you a present. I made you a present, Mommy, so could you open it? I'm not going to tell you what it is, Mommy. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But, okay, I did it with crayons, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm not going to tell you what I drew, but I drew something and I'm not telling you what it is. You just got to look at it. It's a big surprise. But, but I drew you guys on the family and daddy's there, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. 
is. You just got to look at it. Here, open it already. Open it. And they try to help you. Why? Because they want to make you happy. So they're trying to open it. And you're saying, wait for daddy. Wait for daddy to come. Well, daddy, daddy's not home yet. And maybe we can open it. And then when daddy comes home, we wrap it. And then, but you got to see it, mommy. Finally, mommy opens it. <gasps> this is so nice. Really, mommy? You like it? Yes. Look, you drew the whole family. There's mommy and daddy. <gasps> look at us. We look so wonderful. Good job. Yes. Honey, look at what she drew for us. And dad, what's that? Monkeys. Hey, not monkeys. <laughs> honey, don't say that. Oh, it's just plain old, honey. No, it looks really nice. Oh, I like how you drew the. Look, you even put muscles on daddy. You put muscles in. I saw it all night. Look at mommy. So pretty. <gasps> Baby girl, good job. Look at mommy. <gasps> My favorite earrings. Yeah. And, and also Drew. You see the doggy and everybody else and brother and sister. And oh, honey. See, she's crying now because of you. And you got to console. And oh, I'll punch your face next time you say that. And so, oh, honey. It's okay. Mommy loves it. Mommy loves it. And so she's good now. Because mommy and daddy are happy. Why? Because they want to please mommy and daddy until the siblings come home. <laughs> hey, what is that? Monkeys. Hey, nah, monkeys. Ah. They want to do that to please mommy and daddy. They try their very best to please mommy and daddy. And I think as we grow up to please mommy and daddy, little by little, we, we, it sticks with us to please people. And it's okay to a certain point because it's true. We do live in a society where we want to do things well for people. But we want to learn the balance between pleasing God and pleasing people. And if in fact, is there a balance between the two? Does one outweigh the other? There's a man by the name of Saul that we're going to learn from. And if you do have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'll also read it if you don't have your Bible so I can, I can read it and you can follow along. There's also some notes in your bulletin that you can take out. And you can write down this scripture and check it out later. But 1 Samuel chapter 15, let me just set up the scene a little bit. Here's a man by the name of Saul who becomes Israel's first king. Now, remember, the Israelites were in slavery with the Egyptians. And then they were set free. And now they're without so-called a king like the other nations. They're actually being led by God. Now, they had different leaders and judges that would come in to help govern the people. But then the people started to say to this one man named Samuel, who was the prophet of the Lord, they would say to him, we want a king. We want our own king like the other nations. And so Samuel, the prophet of the Lord, consults the Lord and he says, the people want a king. And Samuel is distraught, he's discouraged because the people want a king. And God says, you know, Samuel, don't be distraught, don't be discouraged because they're not rejecting you as my prophet. They're actually rejecting me. So you're okay. And so the people ask for a king and God sees a man by the name of Saul and so Samuel anoints Saul as king. It looked promising for Saul because of what, he, what was his potential and what he could do. But there's some things that Saul started to do and his, his perspective, his heart started to change. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we find that he does some things that are not really pleasing to the Lord. In chapter 15, 
in verse 1, it says, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Then he says this, Now therefore heed the voice of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And it can seem like, wow, that's a, that's a horrible thing to do. But the Amalekites were such horrible people that God says, just wipe out everything. Even their animals, just wipe them out. They're that evil, God said. And so that was the instruction, the assignment given to Saul. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. And then Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. The Kenites were a, a close-by nation, a close-by people. And Saul was saying, we're just going to wipe out everything in the land. So here's your opportunity to get out of the way. And he did this because they showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. I mean, I would too. If somebody said, look, I'm going to destroy this, and if you're in the way, you will be destroyed too. I'd be like, okay, I'm out. So they did. They left. So now the Kenites departed from the Amalekites and saw attack the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings of uh, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So he really wasn't obedient to what God had asked. God said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to wipe them all out. Saul justifies and he says, yeah, but... What about the king? I mean, he's important, so we should at least spare his life. And then, uh, what about the good sheep? What about the good oxen? Let's keep the good ones. And so he did that. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Have you ever been in a situation that you cry out to God all night? Maybe something happened in your life, and and you're saying, God, why did this happen? Why why can't life be like this? Or or, did I do something wrong? Or or help so-and-so, and you cry out to God. No, Samuel was feeling that. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel... And indeed, he set up a monument for himself. He didn't set up a monument for God. He set one up for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, like he puts on his holiness. Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But he really didn't. It's almost like Saul was saying, Okay, i got to look good. i got to behave because the prophet is here. I, 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 I know I didn't do everything according to the Lord's ways, but I'm going to have to perform like I did. So, blessed are you in the name of the Lord. But Samuel said, Then what then is this bleating of sheep 
of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear. So Samuel is almost confronting Saul, saying, wait a minute, Saul, you're saying you obeyed God, but how come I hear the sheep and the oxen? If you did obey God, then I wouldn't hear that. Well, something's not right, Saul. What's going on? And Saul said, oh, they have brought them from the Amalekites. They. We all like to use the word they. Like, oh, they always grumble. They always complain. Oh, it's their fault. Them. Who's them? We don't know who's them. We just say them. Them is who the person we think is they. So we just make up a they and no particular person. But that's them. So they brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. So now Saul is blaming. He's saying, it's not me. It's them. We tend to say that. To sacrifice to the Lord your God. Now he's using the Lord. That he's saying, okay, wait a minute. No, I I, I didn't do that. They did that. It's not my fault. It's their fault. But we were going to sacrifice it to God. It's like he brings God in the picture for some disobedient act. And he said, it's it's not me. We're actually going to sacrifice it to the Lord. And the rest, we have utterly destroyed. It's like he justifies and says, but we did this good. We did this good, so the bad, not that bad, should not the the good outweigh the bad? And so what Saul is saying is, yeah, we did those things, but but look at what good we did. I think some of us will use that. We'll say, yeah, but, you know, I, I... yeah, I did this, I, I, I made this decision, I did that, and sure, I may have uh, uh, made a big mistake here, but, but look at all the good things that I'm doing. This should outweigh the bad, and yeah, I, have, I, I, I say things like this, or yeah, I do this, but, but I'm serving the Lord. And so now Saul is trying to justify. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. He's saying, enough already. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And so Saul said, well, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Sounds interesting. That Samuel was reminding him and saying, remember the good days where when God spoke to you, you said, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to do everything according to his will. Remember when God, God saved you, helped you through something. You said, oh, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be by your side. Lord, thank you for providing. Oh, thank you for, for helping me through this sickness. Thank you for giving me peace and direction. Thank you for healing my marriage. But as time went on, we forgot about that. And Samuel is saying, Saul, you forgot about your, the heart that you first had when you said yes to God. That you said, I'm all in for you, Lord. And Samuel, Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord had sent me and brought back Agag, king of, the, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. And here he goes again. But... The people took of the plunder. The people, who? What, what person? Give me a name. The guys, the people, them guys, them, who? All them, peoples, the guys, all of them. They took the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things, which should have been utterly destroyed. But we took it to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Now watch these important words that we need to catch. Samuel says... 
Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? He says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. To heed, to pay attention. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. But you have rejected the word of the Lord. Oh, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Now, he didn't reject Saul. He rejected Saul from being king. God loves us, doesn't reject us, but rejected Saul as being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, Okay, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because, and here it is, I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Saul had it made, being the king of Israel. But he started to take matters into his own hands. He wanted to do things his way. And he thought that he could lead under his own power, under his own direction, from his own perspective. And Samuel was saying, no, you got it wrong. God gave you this test and you didn't pass it because you did it on your own power. Did you know that God brings tests our way? He does. And he doesn't bring tests our way so that we fail. He brings tests our way so that we pass. So that we continue to grow in him. As Saul was going through this whole ordeal, making excuses and then bringing God in all of this. It reminds me of our scripture that we're using through this series, Exodus 20 verse 7. And it's in your notes. And it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not... Hold him guiltless, who takes him uh, takes his name in vain. Then to take his name in vain means to use it in an improper manner or irreverent. You're disrespectful towards God. We use his name in vain. That's why we're redeeming OMG. It's our magnificent God. And we talked last week about how we use God's name in the in that kind of way and and reduce it to like a swear word. And we'll say oh my, and then we add the word God. And God is saying, my name is holier than that. Don't you reduce it to just ordinary swear language. He says, you you hold my name on high. That's the reputation God deserves. He's our magnificent God. That's the heart behind our series. See, God has empowered us to not live the good life. He wants us to live the better life. And we're going to look at three key principles on what it means to please God. The first thing is to remember this, and here's what we can learn from this story, is that obedience to God pleases Him. Obedience to God, it pleases Him. Now, it may seem like, well, I can't do that, because it's so hard to obey God. It's very difficult. And so we throw in our our own phrases, thinking that this is what will please God, and we say, well, helping people is pleasing to God, giving to others please God, being good pleases God. But that's not entirely correct. Because if it was only giving and that pleases God, there are people who give illegal things away and that's not pleasing to God. They give people drugs. They give people uh, 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 substances that are not good for them. That's not good. That's not pleasing to God. 
And sometimes people give bad advice. It's not pleasing to God. Sometimes we think, well, what if I just do good things? Does that not please God? How do we know what is good? Who makes that call? Who says what is good and what is not? How do we judge that? Because what's good for you may not be good for someone else. So how do we know that? See, these are all great reasons why we can, in doing things that are pleasing to God, yes, it is good to give. Yes, it is good to do good things. But it must be in the context of being virtuous. Of doing it for the reason of giving God glory. Not just in words, but in our actions. See, God is looking for people who will obey Him, whether they fully understand it or not. And these kinds of people that please God know the truth behind Samuel's words. And he says it in in chapter 15, verse 22. He says, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? And he says, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And you can underline that if you you have your, your notes there. Obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Now, one of the things that was required as their worship to God was offering these animals, the fat of rams. And and what Samuel was saying is, your obedience to God is your worship to Him. That's what God looks for. He looks for that kind of heart. I want to read to you in Matthew chapter 3. And in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is about to be baptized And he goes to John the Baptist. And as he's going to John the Baptist, he came from Galilee. Jesus then came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? And in verse 14 of the book of Matthew, chapter 3, But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it. To be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Watch this. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well Please. And I thought, well, why wasn't it like opposite? Why didn't, why didn't God say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now he can be baptized. And then they permitted it to be so. But Jesus said, no, no, John, you, you don't understand. I, I'm, I'm doing this out of obedience to what God is asking me to do. John was saying, no, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, no, no, my obedience to God fulfills all righteousness. In other words, listen very carefully, you don't have to be good in order for God to accept you. He accepts us just as we are. We think we need to change first and then God will love us. No, He loves us even though we never change. But He loves us that much to help us change. Because He sees what's up ahead. He sees a beautiful life. As the Bible says, He knows the plans that He has for us. They're for good, not for evil, to give us a future and a hope. And Jesus said, this 
This must be done. It's interesting that God was pleased with what Jesus had done. And so as Jesus obeyed the Lord, it teaches us that that obedience to God pleases him. See, God permitted Israel to have a king. It may not have been in his perfect will, but it was in his permissive will that God allowed it to happen. Because sometimes we say, well, I'm trying to live a life that's pleasing to God, but other people do things. Or, or what about things that are happening in the world? What about things that are happening in our state? Is that God's will? It may not be in his perfect will, but he allows those things to happen. It's in his permissive will. That even in that, we can still glorify God because it's not about us. It's about our magnificent God. See, obedience is key in being pleasing to God. See, His perfect will means we live in obedience to His desire and His influence on us. God is the one that influences us. And before we can understand what it truly means to please God, we must learn the difference between pleasing God and pleasing people. And in number two, you can write this in, desire to please God more than people. Just have that desire to please God more than people. When we live our lives just to please people, then it, it really drains us. It takes away from the energy that God has actually given to us to lead well. And God says, no, you're trying to please people more than me. You've got to turn that around. You desire to please me more than pleasing people. So the big question is, so how do I know the difference between pleasing God and pleasing people? Does not God want me to do well at work so that the boss is pleased? Does not God want me to lead well so the people are pleased? Does not, God, does not the Bible say to love your wife, love your husband? And the way I do that is to be a good spouse so that they're pleasing or they're being pleased, being married to me. I don't want to be someone who's a nag, so I want, to, I want to do well in my marriage. What about in my relationships? Am I not supposed to do well in my relationships? What about with my parents or my children or in my business? Am I not supposed to be pleasing to our customers, our coworkers? The answer to that is yes. We should. God wants us to please others, but not in the way that was designed for Him only. See, we live our lives that are pleasing to God with people. Because when we're living a life that's pleasing to God and we're with people, then really it's God's burden to carry, not ours, if people are going to be pleased with us. Because the way we, the way we respond to certain people is not the way we're going to respond to another group of people. Because God knows everything from beginning to end. The way I, I raised my oldest son, who's 24 years old now, is not the same way I raised my younger son, who's 18. They were raised differently, same family, same bloodline, everything, but just raised a little bit different. If we try to please everybody, we lose everybody. If we try to please people and not God, we lose out on both ends. But if we live a life that's our desires to be pleasing to God more than people will be okay. Because God takes care of everything else. We cannot play the two. It's, it, we'll die on the inside. We'll go home empty. God says, I, when you live a life that's pleasing to me, I fail you. Now here's the difference between pleasing God and pleasing people. One word, and the word is fear. 
we fear what people are going to say. We fear that they're going to hate us. They're not going to like us. We fear that they're not going to be, be people that look to us for wisdom. We fear that, that they're going to talk about us. So we fear people. We fear rejection. We fear being hurt. We fear that they won't want to be around us. Once we feel that, then it's an indication that we're desiring to please people more than God. It's kind of like the stay-at-home mom who was doing everything possible out of fear so that her husband would be pleased. And every day she would do everything good so that her husband would be pleased. So when he comes home from work, everything's spotless. Kids are doing well. Everything's good so that her husband would be pleased. And she feared. And out of fear, she did that. Well, one day she thought, well, I'll try something different. So one day when her husband came home from work, he found their three children outside still playing in their pajamas, playing in the mud with empty food boxes and wrappers scattered all over the front yard. The door of his wife's car was wide open and so was the front door of the house. And there was no sign of the dog. So now he's in a panic. Well, as he entered the home, he found an even bigger mess. A lamp had been knocked over, light bulb broken, the throw rug crumpled against the wall. In the front room was the TV, and it was loudly blaring a cartoon. And the family room was scattered with toys and various items of clothing. In the kitchen, dishes filled the sink, breakfast food was spilt on the counter, the fridge door wide open, dog food spilt on the floor, broken glass everywhere, especially under the table, and a small pile of sand was by the back door. He quickly ran upstairs, stepping over all the toys and mess and more piles of clothes, looking for his wife. He was worried that she might be ill or that something serious had happened. He was met with a small trickle of water as it made its way out of the bathroom door. As he peered in, he found wet towels, scummy soap, and more toys scattered all over the floor. Miles of toilet paper lay in a heap, and toothpaste had been smeared over the mirror and walls. As he rushed to the bedroom, he found his wife still curled up in bed in her pajamas, reading a book. She looked up at him, smiled, and asked, how was your day? He looked with confusion and said, well, what happened here today? She smiled, and and she answered, well, you know the day, every day when you come home, and, and you ask me, what in the world did you do all day? Yes, I didn't do it. Now, some of the men are like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> you will one day. Sometimes we fear what people are going to think, what they're going to say, and instead of fearing what God is going to say. And we try to please people more than we do anybody else, and it puts us in, it's almost like we imprison ourselves. We, we put ourselves in lockdown. i got to please this person, this person, oh, about this person. And so by then, we're, we don't live the life God promised us. We don't live the life that we're supposed to live because we're trying to please people more than God. Let's read this scripture together. It's found in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Ready? Go. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. How many of you guys this morning would say, I need more wisdom and understanding? I would love that. Raise your hand. Yeah, I think all of us do. If you didn't raise your hand, you need more wisdom and understanding in order to raise your hand. (laughs) Some people actually use this scripture as a way out of my bad attitude. Like I'll say, you know, I don't care what people think. They're going to think what they're going to think, so I don't care what they think. And it almost like gives me a license to do whatever I want to do because 
I fear the Lord. I don't fear people. I don't care what man says. I care what God says. But God is not saying to behave like a jerk. He's saying, no, no, no. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end of it. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of understanding and knowledge. It's not the end of it. So God is saying, you, the way you live your life in fear and respect, reverence for me, will naturally pour out the life that I want you to live so that it glorifies me. So that when you're living your life that's pleasing to me, people catch that. And you won't even need to say, I'm doing this for the glory of God. They will catch it. They will see it. Because you're different than everybody else who just tries to please people. The last thing, and this one is incredibly important, our faith in God is a must. It's a must in order to please Him. Faith in God is a must in order to please Him. Well, why is that? Why can't I just do good things? Why can't I just... uh, Uh, behave well? Why can't I just say the right things? In every, every area of our lives, faith is required. Faith must be attached to every area of our lives. We can't put faith down and then go out into the world. We can't be in church on Sunday full of faith. Monday, no faith. Faith is required to please God. Think of faith this way. Just in a small way. It's almost like your phone. When you leave your phone at home or you lose it, you go in a panic. You go in a frenzy. You ask everybody, did you see my phone? Did you see my phone? I left it over here. Everybody, call my phone. Call my phone. You're trying to find your phone. Why? Because you have everything on it. Everything rests on our faith. Here's how the Bible puts it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, but without what? faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The Bible is saying that you're doing things that are well-pleasing to God. That without without faith, it is impossible to please Him, or do things well-pleasing in His sight, in an acceptable way, like prayer or our worship to Him. Even doing good works, but it must be attached to our faith. Otherwise, it'll be for our own self-gain. Loving others. Doing things with excellence at work. Doing things with excellence in your life. Jesus gives us the faith we need, and without Him, we cannot be well-pleasing in His sight in an acceptable way, because the Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God. That we're all sinners saved by grace. Apart from Christ, we cannot be acceptable to God because we don't live a perfect life. When Samuel said to Saul, you got to wipe them out. But obedience is better than sacrifice. Better than the fat of rams. What Samuel was saying is, this sacrifice, although it's our worship to God, it doesn't satisfy our God. These killing of animals to pay for the sins of the people, it's not satisfying to God. The one true sacrifice that God accepted was His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. He died the perfect death with the perfect God blood and paid for all the sins of the world. 
that sacrifice was acceptable to God. That's why without Christ, without our faith, without putting our our lives in His hands, we cannot please God because we're not acceptable in that way. Yes, God loves us unconditionally. But Jesus bridges that gap so that we can find our way to God. Imperfect people cannot get to a perfect God unless they are made perfect, and we're made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ. So now we have this faith in the Lord and Jesus Christ. That's, that's what God is saying. Faith must be attached to every part of your life. That now it's not confidence in ourselves, it's confidence in Christ. It's not on our own strength, but through Christ I can do all things. It's not by our own wisdom, but through Christ we can do all things. It's by His strength and wisdom. It's not on us. We can only go so far in our very own lives. See, with people, your confidence is that they will be there for you, that you can rely on them. They make you feel valuable or accepted. That's why, that's why we try to please people, we put our, and we put our confidence in them. But with God, because your confidence is in Jesus, He is there for you. You can rely on Him. He already values you, and you are already accepted because of Jesus, not because of what we have done. It's because of what Jesus has done. It's not on our own power, wisdom, or authority. Saul relied on his own power, his own wisdom, and his own authority. That's where he went wrong. Pleasing people takes energy from you, drains you emotionally, and comes with no guarantees that what's best for you will come to pass if it's only about pleasing people. But if, if we're saying, God, I want to please you, uh, my highest desire is to please you, then God adds energy to us. He doesn't drain us emotionally. He fills us afresh. And He comes with the guarantee that what's best for us will come to pass. When you live a life that pleases God, then you're aware that you cannot do this on your own power, your own wisdom, your own authority. It all comes from Him. It all comes from Him. Do you know why many of us, for many of us, it's a burden to try to please people? That it's so heavy on us and we try our very best to please people. You know why it's a burden? Because it's not our burden to carry. No, it's, it's, it's heavy because it's not ours to carry. It wasn't designed for us. It's, it's the burden that God will carry. That we'll do our very best, but not apart from living a life that pleases God. That burden belongs to our magnificent God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. You can close your Bibles and put away your notes. Last night, I was, uh, my grandson came over, and he's almost three years old. He makes three in, uh, I think, two months. And he has a lot of energy. And if you have a grandchild who's that young, or even a child who's that young, they have a bunch of energy. Well, he came over last night, and, and he wants to play with Papa. And so we had this, you know when you wrap something, you got that bubble wrap, and you like popping the thing? So I was trying to introduce him to that, but the, the, the bubbles were real big. So he can't, he's stepping on it. He's like, I don't know, 25 pounds, 27 pounds. It's not popping. And so I have to jump with him on it. And so he loves it, enjoying it. And then, of course, he wants to play with the train. Gigi, or his grandmother, that's what he calls Heidi, Gigi. 
uh, bought him a little train set. So he said, Papa, Papa, come inside the room. Close the door. So I have to close the door. And he says, sit down. So I have to sit down. He says, he said, put together the train. So I put together his train track, and he's playing with it. He's having fun with it. And then after that, he wants to play shupa. Now, shupa is when I throw him on the bed. I stack up all the pillows, and I throw him on the bed safely. <laughs> Just in case get CPS. Safely, safely, <laughs> nicely, in the name of the Lord. And so he loves that. And then afterwards, he wants, to, he wants to have a snack. He says, Papa, snack. So he goes to the refrigerator and he opens it up. And he's like, ah. And he sees Teddy Grahams and Fruit Loops. Big decision. I said, which one do you want? He goes, uh. I said, you want Teddy Grahams? Uh. I said, you want Fruit Loops? Okay. So I take out the Fruit Loops. I said, do you want it with milk? Okay. So I make him Fruit Loops. So I put it on the table. Have you ever seen a three-year-old eat Cereal? Yeah, more goes on the table and floor than in their mouth. So you put extra. He's making a mess. And then, of course, I had to have my dessert. So I had ice cream and apple pie. And once he sees ice cream, he's like, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. So I give him some ice cream. That's what grandparents do. So I'm giving him ice cream, and then he wants to go play in the room. So we're playing in the room again. And it's like I'm sitting there just enjoying the time. And and it's like the Lord is speaking to my heart. He says, how was the mess out there? I said, fine. Were you not upset because he made a mess? I said, no, I could wipe it down. I can clean it later. He says, well, even when you're building this thing, he wrecked some things, he broke some things. You okay with that? Yeah. It's fine. Well, he didn't do everything right. He didn't, he didn't uh, do what you asked him to do when you said this. And, and, but you're okay with that? I said, yeah. It's like the Lord said, Why? And I said, well, because he's my grandson. It's that simple. Belongs to me. It's a relationship. And then he said this, that's how I feel about my people. That they'll mess up. They'll make mistakes. They may not do everything correct. But they belong to me. And that's all the reason I need. I think for some of us, we sometimes think, well, I got to do everything perfect and then God will accept me and then I'll be pleasing to him. No, it's the other way around. God accepts you just as you are, loves you enough to say, here are some things that I can do in your life because I am your magnificent God. When we understand that, we'll have no problems living a life that is well-pleasing to our magnificent God. Amen. Amen. You can bow your heads and we're going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, our our heart this morning is, is one that wants to do well for you. It's one of those decisions that we come across every now and then. Sometimes we forget about the great things that you have done in our lives. And and as the days go on, we, we, we forget about it. And Lord, even though we may have great beginnings with you, we want to finish well with you. Lord, thank you for teaching us through the story of Samuel and Saul and and learning from what they did well and things that they didn't do so well. We, we, We just want to be pleasing to you. I know there's some of us this morning that we try our very best to live a life that's pleasing to God and 
But we try on our own strength and our own power. And maybe God is saying to you this morning, I want to give you a, a different kind of power, a different kind of authority, a different kind of strength. One that comes through my son, Jesus Christ. And if you've never accepted Jesus and you're saying, boy, I, I never saw that my life could be that pleasing to God through Christ. I want to say a prayer. And, I, and we all can say this prayer. I'll say the words, you add the heart. And here's the prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe in you. I give you my heart. I give you my life in exchange for yours. So I thank you. And I'm grateful for eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. With every head bowed and eyes closed, for some of you, as we said that prayer, that may have been your very first time praying that prayer. And if that's you, and you said, and you're saying, I, I, I just gave Christ my life. I want to pray with you and support you. Could you just lift a hand real quick? I just want to pray for you. If you just said yes to Jesus, good. Hold your hands up. God bless you. Yeah, good. God bless you. Back there. God bless you over here. God bless you. God sees your hand back there. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? You said yes to Jesus for the first time. Good. God bless you. In the front here. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Lord, I think for all of us, we want to live a life that pleases you. Lord, I pray for those that just said yes to you, that as they live their lives for you, that they will remember how magnificent you are, that it's not on our own power, our own strength, our own authority, but it all comes from you. So we want to rely on you. Thank you for showing us the way and being our magnificent God. In your precious name we pray. And we all said, Amen. Can we welcome those that said yes to Jesus this morning for the very first time?